Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book today is titled Lawman's Dilemma, a Reuben Braddock Western. And our author, Ray Bilderback, joins us from Washington State. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you, Jay. This is a, uh, a book that harkens back to some of the books I read as a young guy. Who was your audience when you were writing this, and uh, how did it get to be written? All right. Um, my, my intent was to uh, drop back to um, Max Brand uh, and Zane Gray and, and, and that kind. Ernest Haycox, I think, and that kind of uh, a Western. Uh, some, of the, some of the things that are out now are... Uh, pretend to be westerns really aren't. They're an excuse for uh, <laughs> gratuitous sex and violence. All right, we don't want that. No, I. Yeah. I'm. I, and you were bo- you were born in the th- 1932, so you have a, an observation post or a view that is different from many of the new writers. Also, you have seen uh, the western. Uh, growth, and you also have a family whose history goes back into the 1800s, correct? That's right. I had a great-grandfather who was mining at Rough and Ready when, uh, during the gold rush. And uh, so we go back in, the, in California, we go back to the, to the gold rush time. And uh, um, let me see... Uh, I don't know exactly how to phrase this. Uh, I was going to read from the back of this a little bit. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear a little bit of that. Yes, sir. Okay. It, it says that Ray Bilderbach, creator of the Reuben Braddock novels, was born in 1932, raised in the Sierra Foothills, California. And I served in the U.S. Navy CB during the Korean War and taught many years in the West. And so I live, as you mentioned, I live in eastern Washington now. Um, In the 1930s and 40s, where I lived, many of the farms and cattle operations were small, much like they were at the turn of the century. We still used horses and hand tools, canned and preserved what we grew or raised, lit our kerosene lanterns, stoked the wood stoves, Many homes still without telephones and electricity. So I owe much to the brave assortment of aunts, uncles, and grandparents who took me in and taught me their ways. And I owe as much, owe much as well to those I worked with in hayfields, gardens, orchards, woodlots, and logging shows. In my writing, I draw from those times like water from a sweet well. I, I love that quotation that you gave. Uh, I, I draw from those times like water from a sweet well. Many of us can can uh, relate to the uh, the imagery of that. I personally, although I don't like to admit in person that I'm as old as I am, can relate to kerosene lamps and uh, lights that weren't there. They were uh, without electricity in some of the houses I lived in. Of course, I, I grew up in Canada in a rural setting. 
And so I can relate to some of those those uh, events that you have outlined in what you've just read. When you began to write this, how long ago, Ray, did you begin this story? You know, and that's hard to, to, to say, Jay, because you, you, you form some ideas about what you want to do, and, and, uh, and, and I don't really know. They must go back uh, several years. And I, I, you know, I was writing another book uh, called uh, a, a Girl on the Tennessee Frontier, and it's set about uh, Lewis, Tom Lewis and Clark. Mm-hmm. And I just and I and I started writing this one at the same time. And foolishly, I thought that this one would be the easier of the two. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so I I decided to finish this one first. But now. Uh, friends and readers who who have read the first Reuben Braddock want uh, the next one and so I'm I'm preparing it and which should I'm hope I'm aiming for my 83rd birthday in uh, June congratulations and Reuben Braddock is your hero hero in your stories he is he's martial in there but but it gets taken over by tough ladies and there are several salty ladies in here <laughs> <laughs> you're uh, you're they stepping on. They just come to the front. That's, uh, step, it sounds like you're, you're stepping into some dangerous territory. It sounds like. <laughs> well, Reuben, that's that's of course what happens <laughs> to him. You've managed to pen 98 pages, which is not a long novel. And uh, on the front of your cover, it says it's large print edition. So, my presumption from that, it's uh, kind of a general audience book, uh, easy read, and uh, an exciting adventure. Is that the best way to describe it? Yes, and uh, I was going to read to you a little bit from a review at the back. Love uh, to hear that. Kirkus Review said, Lawman's Dilemma is, is told in a concise, straightforward style. That's a joy to read, not just for Western fans, for everyone who loves good writing. And I got a, from Clarion, I got a five-star, which... Three and a half is good. And I got a five star from Clarion. That's a Western history within a solid plot. Lawman is a wholesome novel written with realistic honesty. And then she thinks it uh, is, would be good for uh, extracurricular school reading. I think that uh, it would be good for reading groups. It's a, it has a three part structure. And each one of those parts can stand alone, but they're thematically they're they're linked. They're linked by theme and by the by uh, Reuben Braddock, the, the hero. Because you were an instructor or teacher or uh, in education, did you do any research specifically to this time period, or was this just drawn from imagination and from your memory? My wife is an um, anthropologist, and she will not allow anything that doesn't fit. You know, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. If, if I say that the Southern Pacific is is carrying uh, Reuben over the Sierras, then it was the Southern Pacific, not some other <laughs> uh, company, you know. And if I have in here, I want to read you an excerpt, if I might. I'd love to hear uh, it. And uh, there's a... There's a 
bathtub in in this little excerpt, and that bathtub uh, existed, and I'll read you that piece. I don't know if the interview is going the way you planned it, but anyway. It's exactly like I like to hear it. <laughs> okay. This is uh, in the second part, chapter 2. Uh, chapter, uh, second part's called Willa. Willa Justice poked up the fire in the wood stove. She was heating bath water. To hell with how hot the kitchen would become. She had hay hitch on just about every part of her body. The fire stirred to her satisfaction. She wheeled her bathtub close to the stove to make ladling water less a chore. The tub was her joy. Number 16405 in the Sears catalog. It was a full six feet in length and japanned blue inside with handles at each end for portability. It sported three stripes on the outside, one of them gilt, and had cost her three prime steers, but was worth every bit of it. She could stretch her whole length into it with just a bit to spare. She shook her head, remembering the years she'd spent trying to get clean in a wash tub. And there came a knocking at the kitchen door. The hired man had finished putting up the horses and wanted his pay. Good. The hay was finished. And now she could pay him off and get rid of him, him and his nosy eyes. He was a neighbor to the south and handy help with the heavy work. But he had aggravated her, and he was doing it again. Though he stood hat in hand in the doorway that tied her kitchen to the screen porch, and though he appeared to be waiting, the perfect picture of the humble servant, simply for his wages, his busy eyes took in the kettles and water buckets heating on the stove, took in her fancy bathtub, and they were taking her in as well. He was trying to picture her easing into the tub. Perhaps he was comparing her with that stringy, worn-out little mouse he'd left back at his cabin. Well, I easily read his mind, every untidy, ungentlemanly corner of it. In her frostiest tone, she said, Here's your pay, Mr. Swinch. He held out his hands. I won't keep you but a moment more. Wash day, isn't it? And a storm brewing. You want to hurry home and give your wife a hand. And the kids... How many now? Six, isn't it? But first, his hand still outstretched. She let him stand that way and wait. She caught his eye then and held it. You're a good hay hand and tolerable good around the woodlot, Mr. Swinch, but I can't trust you. Caught your sneaking looks at me when we were haying, and just now you were at it again. I purely won't have it. If you ever get asked to work here again, you'll know to keep your eyes and your thoughts to yourself. That understood? He looked down at his shoes, nodded. She waited to be sure it sunk in, and then she added, Some men, Mr. Swinch, are of the opinion that widow ladies, especially young ones, ought to be accommodating, and I ain't one of them. She was annoyed and stayed that way. Wasn't it enough that egg, chaff, and dust worked its way under her clothes? Did she have to put up with a nosy-eyed switch trying to do the same? She supposed she wasn't dressed strictly modest, but to be so, she'd have to pile on the undergear, dressed like a preacher's wife. You'd play hell trying to harvest hay burdened down like that. And so after paying him his wages, not trusting him, 
She waited under the big live oak by the back door and watched until it disappeared homeward. Beautifully written. Beautifully, yes, beautifully written. It sounds like he was a mean man, Mr. Swinch. Well, he was, yes, and he did have. <laughs> I just think that he was an ambitious man, but he didn't have anything to back it up with. You mentioned Sears. Uh, you mentioned the Sears uh, tub. I'm guessing that that was uh, taken from uh, historical accuracy of some type. Yeah, that's it. You look in the Sears catalog for 1890, and you'll find it. That's incredible. You'll find that very, very tub. Yeah. I, I love your writing accuracy is important. Uh, it, abs- absolutely. I love your writing style. How would you introduce this book to someone and get them interested in getting their own personal copy of Lawman's Dilemma? Like I said on the back, I, I think it would be good for be good for groups. Why would they read this one and not others? Correct. Well, I think they they would read this one and not others because they maybe they're tired of uh, some of the junk that's coming out. Uh, and maybe they want a, a kind of an old-fashioned Western. Now, that comments about the uh, Sears catalog being accurate. Were other aspects of your novel accurate, based in fact? Yes, yes, sir. If I put a if I put a live oak uh, beside the cabin, uh, that's the tree that would be there. And if I put a willow or some alders in a ravine, that's what would be there. And, you know, and I'm dealing in accuracy. Recently. I read a novel in which the woman was setting up a farmyard, and it was pitch black. And and they uh, and they and it was there were some cliffs looming over it. It was like four in the morning, mm-hmm. and she said we drove in there scattering chickens as we went, and there would be no self-respecting chicken in that yard at four in the morning <laughs> in pitch black. Absolutely, it just it just jumped me. That kind of an inaccuracy really is, really smells. That underscores the importance of not only how you write, but also the facts that if a producer saw this storyline and wanted to reproduce it, they're going to have a really an excellent roadmap to follow. Taking the cue from your from your writing style, I think this would be a wonderful book for anyone to add to their library. Again, it's a Reuben Braddock Western. Our author, Ray Bilderback, has joined me from Washington State to talk about his book, his first in a series, we think, Lawman's Dilemma. Ray, where do we get copies of your book? I keep copies around. I, th- I think you can buy it on uh, from Amazon. We're going to be uh, ambitiously putting this uh, back into bookstores. It was, it was in bookstores. Uh, locally, uh, you can get it in several places, but... They can usually get it by doing a search online. Their local bookstore often can yes. can also order it in if they look under or ask for Lawman's Dilemma and yeah, the author Ray Bilderback. There's a website, too, that you'll find it on. Very good. And you can get it through eBay. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing your story, Ray. This is a fascinating book and uh, took me back into the days before electricity and uh, all of the other things that we take for granted today. Thank you for sharing your story and sharing that little insight into your writing style. I'll just sign off by saying for Ex Libris on Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. 
If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. This is Ex Libris on Air. My name is Brian Houston. Thanks very much for listening this afternoon. And we are talking uh, about a very interesting book with a very broad concept. We're talking about cyber crimes and psychics and very futuristic war. And uh, it's uh, beyond my scope for sure, but it's a good thing that we have the author of the book. The name of the book is called Grid Scan, a tribute. Grid Scan Tribute. It's a Grid Scan short story anthology, and it's written by Natsuya Uesugi. How you doing, Natsuya? I'm great. Thank you very much for coming on with us. I appreciate it. Before we get into the book, uh, we'd like to ask a little bit about you, first of all. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Um, so I'm a systems analyst. I work in uh, high tech and IT, and I've designed aerospace, financial, and uh, semiconductor manufacturing systems. So I have a background with hackers, developers, and cybersecurity. And when I looked at your website, which is gridscan.com, um, the uh, illustrations there make it look very much like one of these Japanese graphic art uh, novels. Uh, is that basically a good description of your book, or is that what you'd like it to become someday? Um, well, I would love to have an anime made of Gridscan at some point. Um, I did design all the book covers, and actually Gridscan Tribute has, I think it's about 18 illustrations in it, and of the main characters, and so I designed all of those and did all the illustrations in the book. Well, the illustrations are fantastic. Uh, first, before we go, let's get started on talking about the book. Again, the name of it is Gridscan Tribute. Uh, it's uh, published by Ex Libra, and I want to ask you a little bit about the book. Tell us about it, because obviously uh, I think you told me prior to the interview that this is one of a series of these books of Gridscan. Yeah, so Gridscan is an epic. There are multiple books in the series. Currently, Tribute is the fifth book that was published. Um, some of the books are actually backstory, um, and last year, Volume 2 was released. So Gridscan Tribute is an anthology of short stories that add to um, the backstory for many of the main characters, and it focuses on the hackers in the book. All right, so then give us an overview. If you had to uh, describe this book to friends in just a few sentences, tell us what it's about. Uh, so Hackers Against the Government, that's the main premise. It goes into intrusion, infiltration, social engineering, uh, cyber warfare, uh, attacks against the government, uh, government overreach, kind of some of the things that we're seeing in the news currently, actually. But this is set very much in the future, correct? 
Um, it's set in 2055, so it's not too far off. So um, if you extrapolate it out a little bit, it's, you know, what we're going to be getting into a couple of years from now. So how did you come to write this and this entire series of GridScan books? Uh, so I've always, since I've worked in cybersecurity and worked with developers designing systems, I've always been interested in high tech and technology and potential of where that can go. I wanted to uh, explore that a little bit more and look at how technology influences, you know, social aspects of communication how technology influences how we look at the world um, and kind of some of the things that are going on now with the Internet of Everything. I mean, everybody is connected. Um, I want to explore that a little bit more. So have you written any books prior to the GridScan series? Um, so I've written some short stories before, but the GridScan series is kind of my first entry into the world of being an author. Okay. So what did you find the most challenging about writing these stories? Uh, so I think with GridScan, because it's an epic, um, you've got to keep the world together, um, and you can't contradict yourself. So you got to keep a lot of the details in place and while you're going and doing the different volumes and while you're looking at all the different characters they have to mature through the story but you have to make sure that you keep the plot line within the rules of the world so you can't have a character do something in one book and then do the exact opposite in another. You've got to keep all that straight. Okay, and how did you do that? <laughs> um, I must have a very good memory because I haven't, uh, I don't think we've contradicted ourselves yet. Um, but I do make sure that uh, I have the whole world kind of mapped out. Um, there are even maps in some of the grid sand books because you got to keep the whole world together. Okay, we're talking to uh, Natsuyu uh, Usugi, uh, again, the author of the book Gridscan Tribute, uh, which is a short story anthology because this is a series of books. So tell us a little bit about uh, the overview here. Tell me about your some of the characters that you focus on in your book. Okay, so Gridscan Tribute focuses on the hackers in the story, and one of the lead hackers, his name is Fade. He runs an organization, it's a cyber terrorist organization called the Packrats, and their main purpose is to take down the government. Um, so he's kind of the leader of the Packrat hackers. Uh, then you have Rom, who is the most sophisticated hacker in the Gridscan story, but he was captured by the government when he did uh, an illegal infiltration, and they actually wiped his memory. So he's kind of forgotten who he is and all his hacking skills, and he ends up living on the streets. Uh, and so one of the short stories, A Storm's Coming, actually goes through his life on the streets and kind of what he has to put up with. Uh, there's a follow-on story called Rogue as well, which is uh, him and the government actually chasing after him. He's got some uh, technology and cyber implants uh, implanted in his arm that he can store memories and uh, different data in, and so the government is looking for him because he could really 
screw stuff up <laughs> if uh, he got caught. So I'm taking it, and correct me if I'm wrong, then, that the uh, the government is the villain in the book and the heroes are the hackers. Well, I kind of leave it up to the reader to decide that. I don't want to pick sides and say the government is bad or the government is good. Um, I leave that up to the reader to choose sides. Whose side are you on? That's one of the taglines for the book uh, series. Um, you know, if you want to side with the terrorists, you want to side with the government, it's all up to your perception and how you see the world. Okay. Uh, what kind of response have you gotten to the, uh, the first of the series of books? So I've gotten some really great reviews, and I've actually had a Hollywood reader read the well, first novel in the series, Volume 1, which is Gritscan Retribution, and uh, I've heard some talk of maybe it would be a great series to turn into a movie, so we're still looking at that. Wow, that's fantastic. Did you ever imagine when you were writing this book, uh, basically as a hobby, I guess, uh, that it might turn into something like this? Uh, no. When I set out originally, I set out to write one book, but when I got to the end of that first book, there was a way more story I needed to tell. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I was not looking at that initially, but this has become kind of like my mission. I've got a message that I want to get out there. And, uh, you know, this is the way that I have the ability to do that. Now, how long has it taken you to write all of these books? Um, so it's kind of crazy. I've been publishing a book a year since 2010. Uh, but actually, the writing was quick. Uh, I think the first book was written in like three months. Um, and it's just taken multiple years to publish the ones that are out there now. And there are more in the series. So we've got a couple more to publish. So you know that for sure you've got two more books anyway? For sure. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how many you have. Oh, okay. All right. We're just going to keep it as a random number. But, but you know you have at least two. Yes. Okay. That's fair to say. Yes. Okay, just making sure. Now, where did all of these ideas come from? I, again, I understand your background, but uh, there's a lot more to this than just uh, intelligence of uh, you know the cyber world. Uh, you've got some. Uh, you've got a lot of artistic things here going. You've got crime and intrigue and you know drama in here. Where did all this come from? All this creativity come from? Uh, so I think a lot of it came from, you know, I read a lot of manga, watch a lot of anime. Um, so that's kind of my background, my hobbies. This did start out as a hobby. Uh, but I wanted to explore a lot of different things, everything from government oppression to equality to um, marginalized uh, groups in society. So Gritscan touches on all that. It also touches on mental health. I've got a character in there who, um, you know, has depression and schizoaffective disorder. So there's a lot of different things that I'm using Gritscan as a vehicle to talk about that I want to bring to center stage. Are these uh, issues that are uh, in your life personally? Um, not 
all of them. Some of them are some things, you know, that I've touched upon in the books, but there were things that I'm passionate about and um, like ending the stigma of mental illness. That's definitely something that I'm passionate about. And I think that we need more dialogue on um, things like social engineering and hackers. A lot of people look at hackers as a negative entity, you know, and there's more discussion that needs to occur regarding that. Not all hackers are negative. And so I wanted to kind of present that message showing, you know, black hat, white hat, different sides of the scenarios and leave it up to the readers to decide whose side they're on. So tell me how this book might uh, be unlike others with similar topics. So I think the books deal with young adults. Uh, The majority of the characters are anywhere between the age of eight to teens, or 16. Rom is 16 when the book starts. Uh, Blue, who's another clandestine operative of the Psy faction, is also 16. Um, and then you have characters like the hacker Fade, who's like 22. So they focus on the young adults, and they're all tech-savvy. Um, the world is interconnected. There's something called a grid scan, which is the internet of everything, is what you would call it. Um, it hooks up satellites and computers and the world is completely connected so it's a cyberpunk novel Uh, we deal with um, technology and cybernetics and psychic powers Uh, so that's a little different usually when you have technology you might not have psychic powers Um, (laughs) but that's just an evolution if you could use all of your brain I think people now we use like 15 to 20 percent of our brain if that much what would happen if you were using 80 percent would that manifest psychic powers Um, the psychic powers in the book do come from there was a nuclear explosion Um, one of the Governments, the Atlantia Federation dropped a nuclear bomb on the Pacific territories, um, and that created something called CODIS, which is the psychic powers that you see manifested in the book. So it's a direct relationship to the fallout from the nuclear disaster. You have a lot of stuff going on in this book. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> who do? Who would you... Uh predict would be the person that would that this book would appeal to uh so i think if you like science fiction adventure if you read manga if you like anime you like high tech um you're looking into how information technology can change culture you like cyberpunk um i think that would be who would like these novels what's been the most rewarding thing about writing these books I think the most rewarding thing is getting responses from readers. I've heard some things from readers, gotten some emails that say that my books have changed their life. And so that's a big deal for me. I think I got one letter from a reader who had, I think was depressed and actually said that they read my books and they saw hope in the world. So, you know, that's me getting my message out there. Uh, We also have some counseling centers that are using the short story in tribute, A Storm's Coming. I actually created a uh, manga for that short story. They're using that as a counseling tool for self-esteem, um, uh, for young adults. You mentioned uh, wanting to kind of uh, uh, 
take away the stigma of mental health and mental illness. Uh, I'm going to ask this question, and you may have already answered it with that answer, but what is the one thing that you'd like for a reader to learn or to take away from this book? Um, So I think for the mental illness thing, you know, people need to ask for help, and it's not, you know, there should be no stigma to mental illness. Um, if you have to take medication every day, there's nothing wrong with that. I think sometimes people feel marginalized um, if they're depressed or have some other type of mental illness. Uh, the other message I'd like to take out of this is that, you know, hackers are not all negative. There are positive messages that they can portray, and, you know, you got to look at it in how that information is actually being used. How can people get the book GridScan Tribute? Uh, so it's available on Amazon and it's available on gridscan.com and uh, many other places. Any other uh, social media outlets in addition to gridscan.com that you'd like to promote? Um, so there's uh, Natsuya Uesugi on Twitter. Uh, there's a Facebook site, and there on gridscan.com, there is the blog. There is also uh, Gridscan uh, book trailers, and there's a movie trailer with live actors uh, on YouTube. Now, you really have got this thing fleshed out. I'm, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> well, good for you. Now, is there anything that I've left out, anything that we haven't covered that you feel is important for people to know about your book? Um, I think that we've covered it pretty well. Um, Right now, there are five books released in the series with another due out uh, this year sometime in September, so hopefully look forward to that. Well, fantastic. Uh, Natsuya, thank you so much for visiting with us today. We want everybody to be sure to pick up a copy of GridScan Tribute. It's available, uh, published by Ex Libris. Again, you heard where you can get the book uh, from uh, Natsuya Uesugi. Natsuya, thank you so much for coming on with us today. We really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Have a great one. Uh, This is Brian Houston. Again, the name of the book is Gridscan Tribute, written by Natsuya Yusugi. And this is Ex Libris on the Air. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our book is titled Impressions and Expressions, 
My author, George Snyder, joins me from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. In reading the back of your book, I understand you have shared some personal information about your life. And you, at one point, were involved in a um, an accident where a, an automobile struck you, I guess, from behind. Share a little of that personal story and how that may have impacted some of your writing. Well, one day I was walking home along the shoulder of a road, and a female driving home from work lost control of her vehicle and hit me from behind. Now, um, as a result of the injuries I sustained, I was uh, spent three weeks in a coma and four weeks hooked up to a life support machine. However, thank God, I was able to recover uh, to a point where I can still live a reasonably normal life because I understand there are a lot of people who go through comas who never come out of them, or if they come out of them, they are severely debilitated in some respect. But I was spared both, and I don't feel that I was spared these things because I was lucky. I believe that I spared these things because God saved me. God chose to help me recover to the point that I recovered. Your book, for the benefit of my listeners, is a book of poetry. So you've expressed yourself creatively in sharing several insights and several observations about life things. Uh, how would you describe the process? Did it just take a, a long time to assemble all of the, the the poetry in your book of 61 pages, or was this something that came rather quickly? Um, well, it did um, take a very long time, actually. Um, the first poem that I wrote, that I put in this book, is a poem that I entitled The Waiting Room. Um, and that poem I wrote in, when I was in Jamaica in 1986. So that'll give you some idea how long it took me to put together the book. So you have? Um, do you do you journal, or do you? How do you keep track of uh, of your writings? I just mark them down in a notebook, and I you know keep hold of the notebook, and then from time to time, I reflect upon the poems I've written, and uh, I add new poems that have come to mind into that book, and I just uh, I don't like carry the book around me everywhere I go, but I keep it you know, at home or wherever I may be at the time, uh, just in case I feel the need that I should reflect upon it. What was the inspiration, not behind the poetry itself, but uh, uh, behind actually putting your poetry into the public sector where people can enjoy it? My inspiration was God. Um, I mean, my the inspiration to uh, some of my poetry was God, too. But um, when I was, after... I was writing the poems for a while. Um, I felt compelled. I felt the need to uh, have to seek publication of my material because I wanted to share my feelings um, on religion and life and um, nature, whatever, with people. And I was inspired to do this by God. It was God who put that feeling into my heart to to have the poems published to release it to the public for their um, viewing. Do you think this is a book that will appeal to young adults on up, or how do you feel this will be received? I think the book will be received well by most people, um, because the material in my book, the subjects that I touch upon, are relatable subjects. Um, My poetry is deep, 
and sincere and meaningful poetry. And people can identify with the subjects that I touch in my poetry and, and the themes of my poems. And I think it will appeal to most people for, for those reasons. Would you honor us by sharing maybe one or two of your picks as poems that are going to impress or impact your readers? Um, okay, I'll uh, start with one which I entitled Heaven is Forever. Okay, and the poem reads as such. For people who treat people kind, for those who seek to guide the blind, the ones that offer peace of mind, the reward will be there to find. Suffering children and the weak, poor people in lives that seem bleak, followers whom God's words they speak, they'll find the treasure that they seek. The men and women who believe, who choose from faith to never leave, God's grace they try hard to achieve, forgiveness is what they receive. For everyone who rejects sin, to all who refuse to give in, those who greet evil with a grin, they are the people who will win. Uh, for glorifiers who obey, the sons and daughters that don't stray, all those who take the time to pray will be blessed with God's gift one day. As that poem. You have uh, have written several. Uh, almost almost 59 or 60 poems are included in your work. Uh, you have a, a wide range of topics uh, and titles. This one caught my attention, Rockin' in Toronto. What is the background oh, yeah. to that particular one? Rocking in Toronto. Um, that was just, um, it came to my mind. Uh, I wanted to create a poem about someone who's just going around the city of Toronto, various parts, enjoying shows and, and, and various forms of, forms of entertainment, um, and just having a really good time, enjoying himself uh, in different um, sections of the city. And um, that's pretty much the storyline behind that book, just someone who's going around to various parts of Toronto um, uh, with a female companion and enjoying themselves at concerts or parties, whatever the case may be, just having a great time around the city. You must have uh, another favorite that you could share with us. Uh, what would that be? Um, well, I have another one, which I entitled Libello. L-I-B-E-L-O. Now, the um, word itself is an acronym, which uh, I um, made up. And though the word, the word libello stands for let it be love. Um, just give me a moment here and I'll look it up. I'm not exactly sure where it is in my book. I believe that's on 38, page 38. I'm trying to get to it myself, yeah. as a matter of fact. Right. So I can okay, follow I'm, uh, Yeah, I just found it myself. Okay, and uh, the poem is Libello, and it reads as such. <clears throat> I gaze through drowning eyes at a world that I despise. Each day I'm saddened by the hand of pain. The sorrow that I host seems to haunt me like a ghost. And this ghost is more than happy to remain. The feeling of compassion has left the stage of fashion. Selfishness has grabbed fame as the style. Greed is the feature show, and morality seems low. Hatred is disguised behind a smile. 
It is, easy, it is easy to be blind and not exercise your mind. Small effort is required to be lazy. I feel trapped within a cage of hostility and rage. Many of the occupants seem crazy. I try to find a clue that will show me what to do. I try my very best to understand. The creators of the rules play men like a ship of fools. Heavy pockets are the big demand. Deception is a toy, and mankind chooses to destroy, threatening their very own existence. When will men realize that they command their own demise in a life lived with violent persistence? In a world of hate, there will one day pass a date where we could learn to go coexist and thrive. We must choose a world of love so that we can rise above the challenges of our hopes to stay alive. Beautiful. George, how would you uh, describe your book, besides being a book of poetry, what's the underlying message that you hope to convey when people purchase and and access your poetry? Well, there's a lot of beauty in this world. There's a lot of uh, perils in this world. We have to be aware of both. I mean, there's a lot of beauty. A lot of people, I don't think, really take the time to fully appreciate the beauty that there is in this world. And uh, a lot of people, I believe, take life too much for granted. Um, my poems are designed to point out the beauty in life and point out the dangers that there are in life and to point out their need to um, find God to believe in God, to have a relationship with God, because God is offering all of us a uh, chance for eternal life and happiness. And um, we must seize that opportunity that God has given to us, and that is that is our reality. Uh, a lot of people don't think in terms of uh, life beyond our mortality, um, or they have their various views. But we are here by God's grace to um, live lives that are pleasing to God, to live lives in such a way that we can be forgiven by God because we have all fallen short of God's grace so that we may spend eternity in heaven, eternal peace and happiness and love. The flip side of that being eternal, eternal suffering and, and pain. And those are the destinies. Those, those are everyone's destinies. And people may believe that, they may not believe that. But I do, and I'm trying to inspire people to uh, find a relationship with God. Because I, I, I felt God's spirit. God has answered my prayers. I know that God exists. And I'm trying to bring people to God so that they can have the eternal peace and happiness that they that they should receive. Inspirational, motivational would be an under, another way of describing your poetry then. Were there challenges in getting this completed and, and to press? Um, the challenges for me were um, the, the structures, because I did not wish all my poetry to be structured the same way. I felt that that would be monotonous and it would probably become rather boring to read. So I chose um, to change up the structures of my poem to give it variety. Um, as I did with the subject matter, I chose, I didn't concentrate just on religious um, poems. I chose various um, uh, themes for my poems. 
because I wanted the readers to have variety. If they don't have variety, I felt that the poetry would become monotonous to them and they would probably be disinterested in it. But by, by providing the variety, the variety with the structure and the variety with the topics, um, I feel that the poetry and the book itself becomes more interesting to the people who read it. Wonderfully said. George, are you planning to do a second release, a follow-up book of any type? Uh, as a matter of fact, I am currently working on a second book. I have 12 poems assembled for that second book. I'm not sure when it will be completed, but I am working uh, right now on, on putting together a second book of poetry. Congratulations. This book is titled Impressions and Expressions. Author George Schneider has joined me from Toronto. Last name is spelled S-C-H-N-A-I-D-E-R, if you're doing a search online. George, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Um, I believe right now, if they want to get a copy of my book, they could order it online, but they could also go into um, bookstores and um, um, order it from the order desk in the bookstores. As far as I know, that's the methods right now by which my book is available. Excellent. And uh, have you started a web page or a fan page yet, or is that coming in the future? No, I have not. So that's to come then? Yes, it is. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing the background story into this first release, Impressions and Expressions. I uh, almost got it backwards. Impressions and Expressions. And thank you, George, for joining me today. Thank you very much for taking the time to call me and interview me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, I hope you have a great day. My and God bless you. My pleasure for Ex Libris on Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris on Air.